Good morning, everybody watching. It's good to have you here with me. Let me just close this thing. My phone is a few seconds behind you. So it's good to have all of you. Let's just give a moment or two for some people to log on. Hello, my beautiful wife, Lene. It's good to see you. Um, yeah, I see there's a few people that's already jumped on. All right, so I'll, I'll greet everybody afterwards, but I have a, I have a word, and you, you'll be set free by this word, okay? <laughs> you'll be set free by this word. Okay, so I, I want to start in Romans chapter 16 and go on to, oh, Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 6 and go on to Romans chapter 7. So, um, Romans chapter 6, he says, what shall we say to all this? Speaking of the grace that is revealed in Romans chapter 5, and he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So, this is, this is very much in the context of sin and the grace for sin. So, then he says, what shall we say to all this? Are we to remain in sin? in order that God's grace may multiply and overflow? Certainly not. So it is true that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. But the grace has a greater purpose than just to abound in the presence of sin. <laughs> Listen to this. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? That means that the grace causes us, the abundance of grace causes us to die to sin. So it says here, are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by the baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life. So Jesus died and was raised for our sake. So when Jesus died, our old person our old nature adam nature died and when jesus was raised christ's nature in us was raised okay and we all we we, we have are partakers of this event in the spirit by us receiving the holy spirit okay so um through baptism we die and we're buried and as we are raised to a new life and we are filled with the holy spirit um we receive a new life, a, a, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Okay. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life. So the newness of life that we have, uh, the newness of life that, that, we, that we experience is... Um, is the same newness of life that Jesus has after being raised from the dead. Now he says, For if we have become one with him by sharing a death like his, we shall also be one with him in sharing his resurrection by a new life lived for God. We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil. So now he speaks of the cross. So the cross is uh, our old nature was nailed to the cross and buried in baptism with Jesus. Okay, so 
Now it says, so that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil. So this is the way that your body may be made ineffective and inactive for evil, is by dying with Christ on the cross, being buried with Christ in the grave of baptism, and being raised from the dead with Christ. All right. So we are raised from the dead through coming up out of the waters of baptism. Okay. And in this whole process, our bodies are made ineffective, inactive for evil. Then it says that we might no longer be slaves of sin. That means the cross and the, the grave of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Um, has completely destroyed the power of sin, the slave master. Okay, so if I have been crucified with Christ, buried in baptism, raised to a new life, I am free from sin, and the slave master has no longer power over me. Okay, now listen to this. Let's keep on going. For when a man dies, he is freed, loosed, delivered, from the power of sin. Okay. So. You only have. Um, sin only has power over you. For as long as you are alive to sin. Say. Let's take a uh, normal human example. Sin. Uh, uh, the, the, the law of the speed limit only has power for a person as long as he is alive. If that person dies, the speed limit is no longer applicable to him. <laughs> okay. Say, for instance, someone breaks the speed limit and now he gets a fine. I can tell you that fine can only follow him up to death. And after death, they have to cancel the, file, the fine because who's going to pay the fine? Okay, so now, when you died with Christ, the law's reach stopped. It only, the law only goes up to death. Romans chapter 3 says, we know that the law only speaks to those who are under it. So the law can only reach up to death. And if we are crucified with Christ, buried in baptism and and we rise to a new life. We step out of the old into the new. We step out from under the law. And we step into the New Testament grace. Where our new law is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay. So it is about us knowing Jesus Christ. It is about us being one with him, that's our new law, to be surrendered and subjected to him and not to be surrendered and subjected to the slave master anymore. Okay, let's keep on reading. He says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him because we know that Christ being once raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. Now the next verse will blow your mind. For by the death he died, he died to sin, ending his relation to it once for all. Okay, so what was Jesus' relationship with sin? Jesus um, 
rejected sin. He resisted sin unto the pouring out of his own blood and he never sinned. But he was tempted in every respect as we are. But he never sinned. And then at the cross, all the sin came upon him. And he experienced all of it. And he experienced the wrath of all of it for our sake. And he died. And being raised from the dead, no more fellowship with sin or the punishment of sin. It's gone. No more temptation. It's destroyed in the body of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says, He over, subdued it, overcame it, and deprived it of its power over all who accept that sacrifice. Okay, so he says, By the death he died, he died to sin, ending relation to it once for all. And the life that he lives... He is living to God in unbroken fellowship with him. Even so, consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relation to it broken, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the conclusion of everything we've read, we've read up to now is this. You need to change what you believe about yourself. Because... Even, even so, consider yourselves also dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. You need to believe this about yourself. You need to understand that through baptism you died. And through uh, believing in Christ and partaking of communion, you were crucified with Christ. You, you were crucified with him, and you were buried in baptism, and you were raised from the dead. You need to believe this about yourself. Even so, consider yourself also dead to sin and alive to God. All right? So, if sin is ruling over you, if you're struggling with certain things, it is because there's an error in your belief system. You believe certain things about yourself that causes you to act in a certain way and to willfully subject yourself to the rule of sin. Okay, we'll get to the wrong beliefs in a while. Okay, so he says, um, firstly, you need to believe that you died and that you were raised. Unbroken fellowship. Verse 12, let not sin therefore rule as king in your mortal bodies to make you yield to its cravings and be subject to its lusts and passions. How do you not let sin? You believe that you died and you were raised in fellowship with Christ. Okay. Do not continue offering or yielding your bodily members and faculties to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer and yield yourself to God as though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life and your bodily members and faculties to God, presenting them as implements of righteousness. And that's what Romans 12 also says. He says, I beg of you in view of the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So we bring our bodies and we yield our bodies to Jesus. We say, oh, Lord Jesus, here we are. I surrender today. I surrender my life to you. What do you want to do today? And we go and we heal the sick. We go and we preach the gospel. And we go and we step into the light. Yesterday's message and we do the works of the light. Okay? Then he says, verse 14. We can do this because, verse 14, for sin shall not any longer exert dominion over you. Since now you are not under law as slaves, 
but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. You are not under the law as slaves, but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. I'm going to repeat this. Can I give you a camera, Christ, please? I want to look into your eyes. Yes. You are not under the law. You are under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. <laughs> this is the reason that sin will no longer exert dominion over you. You are no longer under the law, but under grace. You are no longer under the law, but under grace. Grace gives power to God's righteousness being manifested in you through you. The law gives power to sin and to make you yield to cravings. The law is not your friend. The law causes you to desire the wrong thing. And you fight your desire all the time. The grace sets you free. You have died with Christ. You're, you were buried in baptism. You were raised to a new life with Christ. And now you have received this new life, resurrection life, which is the grace. And the grace causes the righteousness of God to manifest in you because you have a new law, which is the Spirit himself. We know that the flesh cannot submit to God's law, Romans 8. Indeed, it cannot. If you read verse 5 and 6, the flesh, 4, 5, 6, thereabout, the flesh it's impossible the flesh cannot submit to the law. But now we have died. The flesh have died. We have been raised to a new life in Christ. We have received a new law. <laughs> and the new law is the Holy Spirit himself indwelling. So if you are yielded to the Holy Spirit, it means that you can rest and you can let him live. And whatever comes out from the Holy Spirit is holiness, perfection, righteousness. Because you are under grace. The Holy Spirit does not take account of your previous sins. But washes you clean constantly in the blood. Because the Holy Spirit is God and God is light. And in, if you dwell in the light, you are constantly, continuously washed in the blood of Jesus. All right. So I want to just jump to Romans chapter 7. So Romans chapter 7 says, uh, Do you not know, for I'm speaking to men who are acquainted with the law, that legal claims have power over a person only for as long as he is alive? For instance, a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is loosed and discharged from the law and uh, the law concerning her husband. Accordingly, she will be held an adulteress if she unites herself to another man while her husband lives. But if her husband dies, the marriage law no longer is binding on her. Okay, so there's another example, a much better example than the speed limit. If her husband dies, she is no longer bound by the marriage law okay she is free from that law and if she unites herself to another man she is not an adulteress 
Likewise, my brethren. So this is just that example now. It's, now he says, verse 4, Likewise, my brethren, you have undergone death as to the law through the crucified body of Christ, so that now you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. You are not under the law. If you now go back to the law, while being united to another who is Jesus Christ, it's spiritual adultery. We don't go back to the law. We are dead to the law. Imagine someone having a relationship with a dead previous husband while married to someone new. That doesn't work. That's not right. So we shouldn't have a relationship with the law while now being married to Jesus. And for you, those of you who think we are still going to be married to Jesus, the marriage feast of the Lamb is still coming, it's already finished. If, if you now have intimate fellowship with him, but you're not married to him, then you're also in spiritual adultery. So this is, this is just some things that we need to get right. We, are, we have died to the law and we are married to our new husband. Isaiah 54, your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts his name. That is Jesus Christ. You are married to him. You are the church and the church is the bride of Christ, not will be the bride of Christ. Okay, a bride is not someone waiting to walk down the aisle. That's a bride to be. A bride is a newly wedded wife. Just take any dictionary and just look it up. A newly wedded wife. Okay, so we are married to Christ. Actually, we've been married for Christ, to Christ for 2,000 years. But you yourself married to Christ since you got born again. All right. Okay, so let's see, let's see, let's see. Now, listen to this. When we were living in the flesh, the sinful passions that were awakened and aroused up by what the law makes sin were constantly operating in our natural members, in our bodily organs, in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh, so that we bore fruit for death. So the law tells you, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not speak the name of the Lord in vain, you shall not, you know, all those things that the law says. Now you look at all the stuff that you shall not, and now you suddenly have a desire to shall not. And now you, you actually do the stuff that you're not supposed to do because your whole attention is focused on everything. And sin uses that as an opportunity. We read it now. He says, for, but now you are discharged from the law. I mean, how clear do you want it? But now we are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it. So you have terminated all intercourse with anything of the law. Any part of it. All of it terminated all fellowship with it, okay? Because it is a person and you have died to that person and you are raised to a new life and you are now united to Christ. Okay, terminated all intercourse with it, having died to what once restrained and held us captive. So now we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations, but under obedience to the promptings of the Spirit in newness of life. So what happened? The law was, you, you died to the law and raised to Christ. And now you have the indwelling Holy Spirit and you walk by the law of the Spirit. The Spirit prompts you to do this. 
The Spirit prompts you to do that. The Spirit prompts you to go there. The Spirit prompts you. So the gospel is the words coming out of the Spirit. The legalistic commands are the words coming out of the law. So you need to swap the gospel for the law. Other way around. The law for the gospel. No. Yeah, you're right. The swap, just swap. Get the, get the law out. Get the gospel in. <laughs> Give up. Give up the law. Give up the rules of how you want to change yourself by trying to not do this, trying to do that, or trying to do more of this. Or try. Hey, go for Jesus. Receive the gospel as much as you can. And hear the gospel as much as you can because that brings newness of life. That brings, um, yeah, promptings of the Spirit. In newness of life. So if the word dwells in you, the Holy Spirit can use the word and re- remind you of what he wants to say. It, now the, there's a lot of word in your heart and the Holy Spirit can speak freely. Okay, and he speaks to you and you experience him. Okay, so now he says, what then do we conclude? Is the law identical with sin? Certainly not. Nevertheless, if it had not been for the law, I should not have recognized sin or have known its meaning. So Romans chapter 3 says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now everybody goes, woohoo, yay, now I know sin. Hey, that sin will tempt you and kill you. So you're not supposed to have the knowledge of sin. That was the problem since the beginning. Adam and Eve partook of the knowledge of sin, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil is essentially what the law is, the, to distinguish between right and wrong. So if you have that knowledge... Now you have the knowledge, right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong. Don't, don't take that into your personality. We live in a country with laws that says right, wrong. That's the system of this world. So we will, you know, work with it now and then. But don't take it into yourself, into your personality, okay? So, so just understand that the law is there because of people who do not have the Spirit of God, who are not yielded to the Spirit of God. And sometimes, even though you have the Spirit of God, you are not yielded to the Spirit of God either. So, so those laws are there to protect people, and that's fine. I'm not speaking of that. I'm speaking of you as an individual and your relationship with God. Your relationship with God should be completely, 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 completely free from any reference to the law. Okay, you have died to the law. Stop looking back to your ex and discussing your ex with your husband. Okay, is that clear enough? Even though you have died to your ex and raised to a new life, or even though your ex have died, it's a new life now. You speak now to your husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Spirit and He's inside you. Okay, you are now discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it. Okay, so, right, what else do we conclude? Is the law identical with sin? No, but if it had not been for the law, I should have not known sin. Okay, that was when we went to Romans 3. Here we go. I would not have known about covetousness if I had no consciousness of sin or sense of guilt if the Lord not repeatedly said, you shall not covet or have an evil desire for one thing or another. So we, we, we touched on that. Um, it's, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. You think steal, 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 steal. And then you steal and you wonder why. Or you shall not, you know, you shall not just, oh, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look. And then people look and they, oh, they feel bad. Now the condemnation comes and you enter the cycle again. Okay, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not, and then you do it. And now the condemnation is greater and you enter the cycle again. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, any hands, any takers? Okay, so 
If the shoe fits, kick it off. I like that. That's the guy with the hair. What's his name? Todd White. <laughs> I love Todd White. He's awesome. Okay. So, um, knowledge of sin causes temptation for sin. Temptation for sin causes sin. And sin causes condemnation. Condemnation is intimate knowledge of sin, which causes temptation, which causes an action, which causes condemnation. And so that cycle of the law and destruction continues, working death in you, and you bear fruit for death. So he says, verse 8, But sin, finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself, got a hold on me and aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires, for without the law, sin is dead. So here is the error in your belief system. You are still judging yourself and judging others according to the law. There you go. There is the injection of death you give yourself daily. That's why you struggle with, with temptation. That's why you struggle with certain cycles. That's why you struggle to get out of certain things. It's because, exactly because you judge yourself for doing those things. We think, oh, if a conscience accuses you, at least, you know, I've got a conscience, you know, accusing me of this thing, and I feel righteous because I know this is wrong. But you know that your conscience can be clear without any knowledge of that thing. Do you know that your conscience can be filled with God? Do you know that your conscience can be full of the Holy Ghost? Do you know that your conscience can be full of light? And there's no, no other thing there. The big problem, while we st the reason we struggle is this. Defiled conscience. There you go. That's it. You believe, you still refer to the law, and you judge yourself by the law. You take the law as the measuring stick, and you measure yourself, and you measure, measure others. Judge not, lest thou be judged. Okay, so judge not. So the moment you judge, you take the law, and when you law, the law starts to arouse that same desire in you, boom. And you fall into that same trap, and you are judged by the same measuring stick. And that's the whole point of the leaven of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy. It's that judgment spirit that comes and stirs up the forbidden desire, and then you fall under that same judgment. That's why the law cannot save you. But Jesus took the judgment, but out of his mouth came only mercy. He even said, I did not come to judge. I was not sent to judge. The Son did not come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. Romans chapter, uh, John chapter 3 verse 17. Okay, there's other scriptures as well. But Jesus also said, um, you will be speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. He says, you will be judged and condemned by your own words, by every non-working word that you speak. So people are not judged and condemned because of God sitting there judging them. People are judged and condemned because they take the role of judge that was never given to them by God. And they judge themselves and they judge others. And those judgments always come back to judge them. All right. So if we take the judgment to judge others, we will be judged. 
But if we just realize that Jesus said, Matthew 9, Matthew chapter 12, he said, sacrifices I have not desired, but mercy. Jesus brought the perfect sacrifice, and he wants to bring mercy. And he wants you to talk about the sacrifice that he did and bring mercy to people. The goodness of God leads people to repentance. People will get out of sin as people get to the goodness of God, as people understand that God is good and his, his um, mercy endures forever and he loves them. Then they will turn to him. All right? Okay, so sin finds opportunity in the commandment, verse 8, and stimulates forbidden desires, for without the law sin is dead. So the power of the sin you're struggling with, is because of the law. The power of the sin that you're struggling with is because of the law. All right. If you take away the law, sin loses its power. Sin has no power in itself. It needs the law. And if, if sin can deceive you into thinking that you're under the law, then sin has power over you. Verse 11. For sin seizing the opportunity... And getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and entrapped and cheated me. And using it as a weapon killed me. So sin is the, the slave master. The law is the weapon. So without the weapon, sin has absolutely no power in your life. None whatsoever. Okay? Right. First Corinthians fifteen also says what the cameras know. Diane. Okay. First Corinthians fifteen says that O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So having died, being raised in life, newness of life in the spirit. Jesus, by the death he died, he died to sin, ending his relation to it once for all, and he will never die again. Even so, consider yourselves also. If, if we can really escape the sting of death, which is sin, the, the way we can do that is get out of the law. Don't let the law use your conscience as a canvas. Okay? So your canvas is washed clear by the blood of Jesus. Don't let the law come and defile it. Remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter sat on the rooftop and the sheet came down. And God said, kill and eat. He said, no, I will not. It's only legalistic ordinances. You shall not eat, you know, unclean animals. Jesus, God said, kill and eat. He said, no, kill and eat. No, three times. He said, God said three times. What I have cleansed, do not you defile it by regarding it as unhallowed and uncommon. So do not regard yourself as unhallowed and common. Not uncommon, common. <laughs> don't regard yourself as defiled. And don't defile yourself by judging and accusing yourself by the law to which you have died. Rather, really believe the gospel of peace. Really believe the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. 
that will cause you to to have a clear, unshaken conscience because the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 9, verse 13 and 14, cleanses your conscience from dead works and lifeless observances. So your conscience isn't God's voice. Your conscience can be defiled. 1 John 3, um, if our hearts condemn us, brackets conscience, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. But if our hearts condemn us not, then... We have boldness towards God and we receive from him whatever we ask. Do you want to receive some, some stuff? Do you want to get some prayers answered? Okay, get a clear conscience. How do you get a clear conscience? Believe the gospel and get out of the law. Okay? Stop thinking of what you did and stop trying to atone for what you did. Jesus atoned for what you did. So think of what Jesus did for you. Okay? And that will cause the cycles to be broken. That will cause you not to enter into that condemnation cycle again and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. It will cause you to get out of it. Because now the only voice speaking to you from, the, from inside is the voice of the Spirit. No more speaking words of judgments which co condemns you and brings a consciousness of sin which brings temptation. So I don't want my conscience to be filled with temptation Accusation, judgment, condemnation. Those, that cycle shouldn't be in my conscience. I should not be aware of it. But when I'm aware of the blood of Jesus, I'm washed, cleansed, repeatedly cleansed. I'm in the light. Now that I'm in the light, my conscience is ever being remolded and re-cleansed re and re continuously washed, washed, washed in the light, washed, washed, washed in the light. My conscience gets clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer daily, daily, daily. More clear daily, more clear. Okay, so then there's no, there's nothing, it, it, like the sinful life thing, it feels like a long lost distant memory of someone else's story. And you don't associate with it. So you, you, you don't form that idea of sin and guilt and judgment and shame. It's not part of your identity anymore. You have literally died to it. And you have been raised to a new life. And now something else is active in your conscience and alive in your conscience. So practically, what does this look like? Oh, I'm over the time already. Practically, what does this look like? Well, it looks like this. Stop accusing yourself. Hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear the message of the grace, the blood of Jesus. Hear that message constantly. And as you hear it, just open your heart. Don't let it become familiar. Open your heart and receive it and engage with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, and if any other thought comes up, just let that thought run to the cross and let that thought be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Just remain where you are, in the light, under the blood. And let that thought just be washed away. If an accusation comes, just take a second and see how the blood of Jesus washes away that accusation. Because you are in the light and the blood is washing you constantly. It is already true. So you just stand there, man. This thought came. It's like a bird coming, sitting on the branch. Okay, let's just see the blood of Jesus washing away this thought of accusation, this thought of judgment towards others, this thought of grumbling and jealousy and backbiting, this thought of all kinds of you know, stuff and temptations and 
All those things. Just see how the blood of Jesus washes you away. Because you are in the light. <laughs> All right, I hope this, this helps some of you. So I believe that this word is the truth. This whole message um, just came out of a thought of sin shall not exert dominion over you. Romans 6 verse 14. Since you are no longer under the law, but under grace as subjects of his mercy. Listen, it's not, a, it's not a, just a playful philosophy or just another idea that I'm bouncing on you. This is the very truth of God. You can't mix the two. You can't mix a little bit of law into the grace of God because then you remove all the power of the grace to save you. Okay, it's like putting a little bit of poison in your wine. Then the, all the, the power of that wine to bring joy and to bring enjoyment is taken out because it brings sickness. Okay, this is the truth. Okay, amen. Let's just greet some people. Hi, oh man, now all the names are gone because this thing refreshed. I saw my ma, my ma, my mama, Rosa, watching. <laughs> Hello, Janine. Oh, sorry. I just see like the last three names now because this thing refreshed. So, sorry. Let me just see. Maybe I can go into the other comments and then I can see some other names. There we go. Um, all comments. Let's see. Okay. There's Benny. Hello, Benny and Janine. Bless you, Janine. Uh, yeah, my ma Rosa, hello ma, and my ma Rita, hello ma, like ma and ma Isa to sin, and um, and Janine again. Okay, so bless you guys. Maybe I missed some of you, but I believe that this message is really the the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please, you know, like and share. Let people hear it because this is the one thing where people struggle. Okay, all over. So may you be blessed. May you experience God's grace and God's goodness today. Oh, hey, there's Ilza also. Hello, hello, Ilza. Bless you. Um, may God just bless you today. And may you experience and experience and experience the freedom that comes through a clear conscience washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen. We'll see you again tomorrow morning at 9. Bless you.